Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. We actually are, uh, I think we're just going to be diving straight into summer in Chicago this week. It's incredibly hot. So I hope that you've uh, got a little bit more pleasant weather wherever you're located. As always, you can see the creative work uh, associated with all of our episodes. You can connect with our guests and get new episode alerts on our website at onstrategyshowcase.com. This month, uh, a couple of upcoming uh, episodes include Ladder Insurance. It's a digital life insurance brand that's doing some really great brand work here in the US. It's actually their first foray into brand advertising after being uh, focused solely on performance marketing for a number of years. And to give you a sense of what grabbed my attention, the tagline on the uh, creative work is, life insurance is so good, they're going to want you dead. Also, I'm excited to have uh, Tamrat Amaze. Uh, she is head of strategy at Collins in New York City. If you're not familiar with Brian Collins, uh, his agency in New York City, you should check them out. They're doing some great work. Tamrat's going to be coming on uh, to talk about a couple of their their uh, clients that they're working on. I'm also excited that John Lombardo is a guest on the show. We are excited to talk to him about effectiveness in B2B marketing. John is a head of research at the B2B Institute at LinkedIn. And really, they're doing some terrific work with Ehrenberg Bass, uh, with uh, Byron Sharp, and others, uh, Jenny Romaniuk, and a few others, on looking specifically at effectiveness in the context of B2B. And they've come up with a couple of things I think are really exciting. So I'm hoping we can get that episode out in the next week or two. And then we also have uh, Jenny Romaniuk uh, planning to have her uh, this month also from Ehrenberg Bass uh, about her book, Distinctive Brand Assets, and other sort of effectiveness measurements, both in B2B and B2C. I've actually, if you may have noticed, uh, been having more of these sort of thought leader episodes on. I've enjoyed recording them. I've enjoyed learning more about them. And I think that they certainly can play a role on this show in terms of rounding out the conversation, not just about the core case studies, but then sprinkling in uh, also examples of, of these thought leaders discussing factors that contribute to effective marketing campaigns. So I think I'm going to continue doing that as we move forward. However, today, as a part of the ongoing automotive series, and we've done a bunch of episodes, which you can check out on the website and on the podcast platforms, we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about Nissan with Leslie Stone and Elliot Bastian of TBWA Shiat Day, New York. Uh, you may remember a number of years back, I think two or three years back, was the downfall of uh, CEO Carlos Ghosn, who was the CEO of Nissan as well as the Renault Group in Europe. Ever since that sort of a downfall, the brand has been regaining its footing, both from a product perspective and a marketing perspective. In 2019, the brand went through Shiat Day's disruption planning process, which attempted to sort of realign enterprise-wide activities around a kind of a refreshed brand expression, kind of a research, I suppose, because we get sort of confused about it in the episode too. I think it's more of a refreshed expression of the existing brand platform, but I'm not super clear on that either. And I think that uh, you can make your own judgment calls as we listen to the episode. The recent work that you may be familiar with, with uh, Brie Larson and the Super Bowl spots with Eugene Levy, they sort of mark the first work out of this evolution. The line is a thrilling people at every turn. And it is, in essence, a return to Nissan's roots. So as part of the Automotive Series, here are Chief Strategy Officer Leslie Stone and Head of Strategy Elliot Bastian, both of TBWA, Shiat Day, New York. Enjoy. So it's great to have uh, Nissan uh, on uh, the uh, on the show. We've done a ton of, well, not a ton, we've done many 
brands and automotive. I think about a year ago, I decided that I wanted to do automotive as a sort of a deep dive. So I had, um, I, I did shows with Volkswagen, with Toyota, with Hyundai, with Honda, with Volvo, and uh, and I wanted to do Nissan, but at the time it wasn't the right time. So I'm excited to have uh, both Leslie and Elliot on the show. Welcome from, which is interesting to me because I always thought everything came out of LA, but you both are in the uh, New York office in Brooklyn. So good to have you both. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having us. Really nice meeting you. And so we're going to be we're going to be talking about Nissan, and and not unlike. Uh, many other uh, agencies or networks, uh, you guys have a dedicated arm or group uh, for Nissan called Nissan United. Leslie, can you tell us what it is and, and what are the scope of services, both geographically and in terms of actual service offerings that you guys provide for Nissan? Nissan United, you know, it's it's like the ultimate dedicated client car fan nerd fest. I think it's the most successful um, interagency intercapability team I've ever been a part of. I know Elliot will talk a little bit, you know, more about its history, but we, we really work with the client across the country. We have um, an amazing field organization in, I think, 205, 210 DMAs. Uh, We have bigger offices and offerings and sort of hubs in New York and Nashville, right um, right across the street from the client. Uh, in Los Angeles, of course, uh, where the heritage of Nissan was based in TBWA um, in, you know, there. And I, I think it's just uh, an, an amazing thing because we have so many people who truly love Nissan, who love cars, who love automotive, um, and then we have a bunch of experts who come in from all different agencies and capabilities. The flip side of that, of having people who love uh, automotive and love cars, um, is that always a good thing, though? Because that's one of the things that I always found, that that sometimes car people become too myopic and they get, they get uh, they're almost too much into cars and not enough into people. I don't know, Elliot, if you have an opinion of that. Have you always been an automotive or have you sort of come into automotive? No, I've definitely not always been into automotive. I think, you know, I've grown into it. It's something that I've slowly become more and more passionate about. But I think you definitely need people who understand the product and the industry who can kind of make it contagious. You know, any brand you work on, you want to have people beside you, be it a product strategist or, you know, just people who are sheer passionate about the brand and the industry to the point where it's contagious and it actually permeates all different teams. So, you know, these people are really core pillars to making sure the media team, the interactive team, the audience development team, the investment team gives you a lot of credibility in terms of relationship with your clients. One of the additional challenges, which I discovered from going through this automotive series, is that there's one thing at the center, almost at the center of all of this, that sort of defines the ability to be a brand, which is whether or not you're a branded house or whether you're a, or a, whether you're a house of brands. So a branded house, for those not familiar, would be like BMW. So BMW doesn't have individual nameplates. It has numbers or, or symbols that, that determine each of the nameplates, the 5 Series, the 3 Series, etc. Uh, uh, Hyundai, Toyota, 
Honda and, and Nissan have nameplates. So it's the individual nameplate brands that need to be built. So in that environment, my sense has been that it's been very difficult to build an overt central brand proposition or have brand advertising, Elliot. Do you find that that has been something that that is a reality in terms of a challenge for strategists and marketers in building a brand in automotive? Or, or do you think of it differently? So that's exactly kind of the journey we've been on, kind of shifting from a house of brands to a branded house. Uh, and you know that was kind of deeply rooted in kind of the way Nissan did business, right? They were very nameplate focused. Uh, you know, they were prioritizing really volume over brand. You know, they were focusing on incentives over building that desire of a, of a branded house. Uh, and you know, they were very kind of seen as very functional versus emotional because of that behavior. And you know, they came to us in 2019 and really kind of wanted to say, hey, you know, we need to shift the way we do business and we think of ourselves as an organization because at the end of the day, you know, we're struggling right now. Um, and, you know, struggling from sales perspective, from a dealer engagement perspective. And at the time, I don't know if you remember, but there was the whole Carlos Ghosn fiasco going on. Yeah. Uh, and they made a conscious decision to say, we need to have a stronger brand. We need to put that first uh, and then kind of the rest will follow and build on top of that. Just for everybody to know, Car- Carlos Ghosn was the uh, former CEO of Nissan and also of Renault Group. And and there was there was some um, uh, some legal issues and challenges about around his departure and how he departed. So that's what we're referring to there. Leslie, what do you what do you um, think of in terms of this, in terms of this conversation of branded house versus house of brands and its impact? Yeah, and Carlos Ghosn, you can I think there's a documentary on on Netflix about him. So that's also a, an interesting thing. Um, I think that you know I was I was reflecting on your question about competition, and I remembered in 2019 the clients really having envy of Subaru, which is actually not doing so great right now. But this idea that they really knew who they were. And that everything was so distinctive and memorable and you knew what love was. You know, it's easier with BMW because the uh, luxury segments always a little easier. But with Subaru, you know, Outback and Forrester, they have their um, their meaning and their segment awareness. But, you know, the brand. And I think with Nissan, the the people who worked at Nissan all joined the company because they wanted to work in daring design. They wanted to join a sort of legacy of innovation and they were thirsting for this sort of Nissan nature, the Nissan-ness to be the driving point. And each of the vehicles historically had been segment breakers and had been manifestations of the brand. So Xterra or GTR, they were these incredible products like iPhone or iTunes that brought the brand to life. They weren't just a separate thing. And I think they'd walked away from that. And some of the later products had been just a little bit more cookie cutter, you know, sort of suburban cars. So the time that we're talking about this reclaiming was also a reclaiming of product so that there was synergy, I think, between the products that were coming out and how they related back to the master brand. And by pushing this sort of branded house, we brought those two things together. Can we talk about the brand in the past because it went through this refresh that we're going to talk about today but prior to that can you tell me a little bit about you know, what the brand's historic platform had been elliot and 
and um, and what and and you know how that was executed. Yeah, I think traditionally Nissan has always been about innovation for excitement, uh, and and that's something that you know has been kind of rings true in terms of where the brand has been in the past, but. Over the last few years, I think those words are kind of losing meaning, uh, and they were trying to kind of navigate in terms of like how do, what what does that actually mean? Uh, and with kind of the shift of you know technology really taking over the industry, Nissan started to see themselves more as a you know trying to kind of position themselves as a tech brand, really kind of emphasizing you know tech uh, the tech forwardness of the brand, and I think that was kind of something that they were maybe forced into uh, based on the industry at large. Uh, everybody was talking about it. And, yeah. they, and they realized that at the end of the day, you know, that's not who they really are. I think that was kind of a really important step as a brand that they took because it kind of also made them look into the mirror and was like, oh, we're moving away from who our core, you know, our core uh, mean our core brand in terms of the excitement at our best we've done that with you know fast and the furious partnerships you know like that is kind of where they want to be and also a reflection of that mindset that leslie was talking about uh, about these people who are innately passionate about driving so leslie what what would you what would you add in terms of the platform from the past Nissan had walked away from car culture, not just sports cars and speed, but just loving being in your car and the freedom of a road trip and making out in your car and playing with Hot Wheels. We've really exploded that attitude out through the way that different technologies and experiences can bring that reality to you. For example, in the Kicks, it's all about color and personalization and music. And that is thrilling for you. In a Rogue, it's a family car and it's about the sort of hyperbole of what a family trip can be and that it's not just like shuttling kids to soccer games. So we've worked really hard to take the kind of thrill and expand it out across all the vehicles so we have very broad appeal. We've gone from the word excitement to thrilling. And I'm just wondering, help, help, me, help me sort of splice that and understand it a little bit better. I think that, you know, I, I think it's a, a red herring. I think the point is they had walked away from innovation for excitement and we brought them back with the use of thrill. The main thing is that in the Gone era, they stopped innovating. The Japanese definition of it was a bit techier and a bit colder. And, and we just didn't think, and we knew from dealers that that didn't resonate with the American consumer. This idea of innovation and excitement for everyone, which was the original idea that you would democratize you know, performance, style, you know, sexiness of cars, the affordable sports car, the Z, you know, the, the Maxima is a sports car in a sedan, you know, that you could have that as a regular person, right? That some people on our team say we're the Japanese BMW. And, and we actually run ads where we talk about how a Sentra can take on a three series. So, that democratizing of innovation has always been the core of Nissan. They had really walked away from it in the Gone era. And I mean, when I say walked away from it, I mean from a brand perspective and a product perspective. So in 2019, when we came in, the products were coming back to the original vision. The product designers are still inspired by Mr. K and by Jerry Hertzberg and all these amazing people that had done these crazy designs and segment breakers. But the brand hadn't come back. The brand was intellectual and the sort of 
heralding of thrill was to give it something warm that the American audience, both dealers and consumers, could just feel. It wasn't a message. It was an attitude. And it was saying, we're back. And if you look at our original kind of manifesto ad, that's the whole story, right? Remember when driving was thrilling? We're going to be about that. We show you Hot Wheels. We talk about how even innovations now, like EV, they're not just because they're good for the planet. That's great. But they're also really exciting driving experiences. A lot of the technology was very safety focused. So a lot of the ads in the category were beer based. And I, I always thought that was weird. Like you're buying this, you know, product that is one of the most personal things. You spend so much time in it. You love it so much, but the whole industry is selling on fear. And, you know, obviously Volvo, that's their brand. I get it. But for everyone else, I was like, why would you be selling on fear when people love their cars? They polish their cars. They spend so much time in their cars. They raise their kids in their cars. So I think part of it was just features and benefits had to find a better higher level purpose that was joyful and not so negative. And, and I always thought that was because the industry kind of felt guilty about the bailout and apologetic, but the technology is going to move on, but it's still going to be joyful transportation. It's still going to be fun. And, and that's, I kind of think the perspective we've tried to embrace. I love that point, Leslie, because the, the, the industry did have a, like a guilty conscience, right? And, and I think, you know, it was also after you think of the VW Dieselgate scandal, like everything was apologetic. It was just always kind of, oh, we're sorry, you know, so let's talk about safety and how we make the, 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 the driving safer. Or let's talk about our EVs and talk about how we don't pollute anymore versus the actual experiences that we unlock with these uh, RTBs. Let's talk a little bit about 2019. So um, the brand decides to go through, or that, it's, that it wants to go through a sort of a refresh. Leslie, you had been, you had been in, earlier in your career at Shiat Day, and then you came back around the time of this refresh. So I'm, I'm, I'm super excited to hear about it through the lens of Leslie Stone. You were obviously recruited in around this time. It was a volatile time. Um, what? What were you seeing with fresh eyes when you came in? And then we'll talk about the, the process of disruption in a second. Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, you know, when I, when I went to work at TVWA in, I guess, like 1995, it was like a defining moment in my career. I was so excited. You know, I worked on Wonder Bra. It was super famous. And when we merged with Shia Day, it was before disruption existed, but the seeds were all there. This idea of um, a client relationship that was almost entertaining the client, which is, I think, how Jay Shiat saw it, and that we would have these war rooms and you would come in and have these really amazing moderated discussions about where you wanted to go and, and a very like rebellious attitude to how to get there. And so when I came on to... Um, Nissan and came back to TBWA. I think a huge factor is that you know our client Allison Witherspoon had you know maybe she'd been there for a while and she was looking to put gas on the fire and she was really looking to pull everyone towards a stronger brand perspective. So it was such great timing to kind of pull everything together. Um, and I I almost felt in that moment that 
all the ingredients for success were there, but the habit of thinking about the brand wasn't there. The habit was to um, think about sort of business challenges first, which is great, but not how the brand could be a lever for the business. In its essence, what is different about disruption versus uh, other sort of strategic planning processes or business planning processes? I think, I mean, there's a lot of them out there, right? I think there's, you know, people say blue ocean, people say challenger, disruption. Um, and, you know, to, to be fully honest, like th there are a lot of books. I haven't read all of them. Uh, but what I, I think is the strongest thing about disruption and the way we practice it as, a, as an agency is really the collaboration aspect. It really kind of forces to bring, it forces all the right people in the room. Uh, and, and that's kind of how we've used it. it we've used it as a, a, a door to instigating really tough, honest conversations with, with people beyond marketing, right? You know, if, if you think about how we applied it at Nissan, it was never seen as a marketing tool. It was seen as a business tool where it would bring, you know, uh, the finance team in, the, the dealer network in, the market intelligence team, you know, R&D engineering, quality engineering, all the sales. So it, it really kind of is it allows us to really ingrain ourselves in the business uh, more than just the kind of superficial marketing level. Um, and that's what I think is, is, is disruption at its best. And it also poses very honest questions. It forces people to have an honest look in the mirror and to not come with preconceived notions. Uh, and I think one of the things that we always say when we do disruptions with people who've never been exposed to it is kind of, you just need to trust the process. It's gonna feel a bit uncomfortable uh, there'll be kind of ups and downs, but ultimately we believe in the disruption philosophy that it will lead to a better output. Uh, but my favorite thing about it is really kind of the conversations it instigates and the people that it brings in the room. You mentioned earlier that, um, and we were talking about the past sort of platform for the brand, you, you talked about it as innovation for excitement. Um, so with that as the starting point, and I've seen lines at the end of Nissan spots, such as single word lines like uh, shift and driven. Uh, and I was I was curious about, did they represent an expression of the platform or, or were they platforms in and of themselves? Or how, how should I think about those sort of tag terms that were on the back end of ads? Uh, it's, it's always tricky when you start going to platform <laughs> taglines. It's never clear. And I think to that point, you know, we wanted to make it clear, you know, we, we said, and you can get lost in that language and it, yeah. you know, and it remains very superficial. Um, so, you know, one of the things is innovation for excitement has always been a core belief of Nissan, I would say. It was, you know, at one point it was a tagline, but I think even when you had shift or these other kind of taglines that you're referencing, innovation for excitement was always what they wanted to deliver on, right? They believed that they had amazing technology, amazing products at the, with the sole purpose of exciting people. And I think the excitement is talking about that transformation, that transformative experience when you're driving a car. So that is kind of what was interesting in this workshop was saying, hey, you know, you've been, you've, you've used so much language. You've populated so many kind of <laughs> words around of who you are. And we really wanted to strip that all away and to keep it as simple and clear as possible. And to make sure that they understand that this word or this, this language that we're going to embrace now, right? This is what you need to live by. This needs to permeate everything throughout the entire experience. So if you are a product engineer, what does being a thrilling brand mean to you? 
If you are a dealer, what does that mean on the ground, on the front line? What is, how do you translate thrill? If you're HR, you know, how do you embrace this thrilling nature? If you're hiring people, if you're interviewing people, how do you inject thrill there? So I think that was the really exciting part is we simplified language you know, less words is more than often better. Uh, but then we also kind of took time to make them believe it and apply it to themselves before we would do any external communication. So are you then saying that the new platform is Thrill? Or how, yeah. would, you, how would you describe it? What, so, what is the new so, brand platform? So it's still at the core, the belief is still innovation and excitement for everyone. But how we express that in the US specifically, it's about thrilling people at every turn, basically. So it is, and, and I think what we say, thrilling people at every turn, obviously turn, you know, we can understand the car pun, but more importantly, it's about the full experience in which people would interact with the brand. So Leslie, how do you guys, through, through the uh, event of the disruption and the disruption process, how do you get to thrilling people at every turn? The way disruption works is that you, you are looking for a behavior that helps people activate the vision of the company. So, you know, if you think of a disruption roadmap, there's always, what is your company in business to do? Who are you at your heart? Uh, what's holding you back? What's the convention? And then what's, what's a behavior? You know, Apple, think different. What's a behavior, a way of disrupting those conventions? And I think with Thrill, we felt like it was an amazing way that a company who was about innovation for excitement would act. So going into the day, we had a few straw men. Um, we had a few ideas about it. We had theories. Um, but we also went in with the idea that we would listen. And what's so uh, tiring and exhausting about disruption is that at the end of the first day, when you've really done your work to get to your idea, you the planners and um, sometimes creatives and account people all basically order terrible food and try <laughs> to figure out what is that single usually action, what is that thought that will bring the vision to life? So then you have to you have to get to the point where you begin to execute that and develop that into concepts and, and that is distinctive and reflective of that. What in what ways did you begin to sort of execute differently on that platform uh, versus where you had been in the past? Like how would I recognize the difference between the spot before and the spot after? The classic um, ad agency approach is that you come up with your brand positioning and then you start with a manifesto and then you roll that out across the company. But in the case of retail, one of the things I've learned is you can't stop the business. You know, you're, you're halfway through the life cycle of many projects and it takes years, especially at the budgets of automotive, um, and with the consumer's ability to take in information to really understand your brand anyways. Our first sort of official launch of Thrill was actually in our sales event work. It was promotional and just putting Brie Larson and choosing to put a celebrity in a retail ad was very shocking inside of the client and the company. And I think it proved to them that this was not um, fluffy that this was a, an operating principle that could go across everything that we would want to do. And then we just started to roll it into everything. Um, and the, the other point I wanted to make on that is that um, Nissan has so many stories and we have a very complicated go-to-market plan. 
So what we were able to do was think over time, how are we going to bring thrill into each aspect of it, but not have any part of the business feel that their stories weren't getting told. So one of the things that I noticed as an outsider looking in, of course, I'm still in the ad industry, so that sort of gives me bias in and of itself. But I've I've always looked at Nissan work for the last number of years. And the way I've sort of come away, the impression I've come away with in terms of how you execute it creatively, is it felt, at least from my memory, I felt like the cars were always flying through CG environments and everything seemed like it was gamified. And now I think you've sort of moved away from that. I don't know what you've done it consciously. Now you have that in in sort of a more of a real world environment that that I think maybe a broader audience can relate to. And I'm looking, I'm thinking of the Brie Larson work too and the Eugene Levy work. Um, it, was that a, is that a conscious executional shift or am I reading that wrong? I think you're right that before there was a lot of CG and I think Nissan had this idea of uh, larger than life, right? It was very kind of superlatives and it was associated to the driving experience. We've definitely moved away from that. How conscious of a decision that was, I don't know. Uh, but I think it's much more grounded now, to your point. Could one of you um, uh, kind of describe the launch spot? And then I'm going to drop it in. The launch of this of this new Thrilling People at Every Turn platform. You know, the idea behind the spot was really to kind of reintroduce the new Nissan. To say that Nissan's back. Uh, you know, we have amazing new product. Uh, you know, we had a new uh, Frontier, a new Pathfinder, a new Z, uh, our brand new electric vehicle, the Aria, all featured in there to really make a statement that this is not just words that, you know, Nissan is about thrill and that we're back and we kind of really care about driving. But look, you know, we put our money where our mouth is and we have this incredible uh, uh, lineup of vehicles that is, that is kind of launched in the next, you know, 10 months. Remember when driving was fun? Driving used to be an act of freedom, inspiration. Cars were our sanctuaries and co-conspirators. We had posters on our bedroom walls and toy track running down our stairs. But somewhere along the line, cars just got boring. You deserve a car that thrills you. A car that puts goosebumps on your goosebumps. Like hot yellow sports cars with three pedals. Pickup trucks that can take you places you never knew existed colorful crossovers, electric cars that have driven billions of emission-free miles far out, and cars loaded with technology. You deserve a car that gives you something back when you hit the pedal. And there's a car company that believes that too, one that has been delivering thrills at every turn for over 80 years. This is the new Nissan. So how did this, Leslie, how did this roll out uh, in in other channels, tell us about the ways that you began to sort of slowly and deliberately roll it out. For the brand layer, we we had a lot of really amazing, fun sort of pillars of storytelling that we've been telling, like chapter after chapter after chapter of our story, um, and most of that has been unearthing parts of Nissan that maybe people didn't know, and telling our sort of sexiest work. Uh, so we have work that's totally dedicated to our performance um, and heritage. We have work that's dedicated to our stance on EV. Um, and in each of those, we have full ecosystems, which include social and work with influencers and on and on. Elliot, anything you'd add to that? 
everything is coordinated to kind of amplify, thrill people at every turn uh, all the time. And our, our brand layer is always on as well. So that's kind of been a real big shift for us uh, as an organization too, where Nissan traditionally had never done brand layer or brand investment or a single brand campaign, I think over over 20 years, uh, they agreed to do kind of, you know, full year brand communication, uh, which has been incredibly um, successful. If you think about our brand plan, you know, that we mentioned our go-to-market, it is a three-year plan. Uh, and the first year of, of this brand layer, we really did communicate a bit more about our heritage, you know, where we're from, who we are, uh, what we always believed in. And some of the products that we were launching that year had incredible heritage. The Z is an obvious one. Every, everybody knows kind of the background of the Z, or a lot of people do. Uh, but Frontier was also a really important truck in American culture. It was one of the first uh, small SUV pickup trucks introduced to the U.S., uh, and the Pathfinder had a very strong lineage in the U.S. as well, you know, dating back to the, the late 80s. Uh, and there was a new one coming out. So we had a lot of these vehicles that were being refreshed for the first time in a while, and people were really excited about it. So we felt it was very important for that first year establishing our brand to kind of nod to our history a bit and to get people to understand where we're from and what we believe in. And I think as we kind of uh, go through our, our three-year brand plan, you know, this year and next year, it's going to be much more present and future-focused. But that's always something that was consciously uh, done. It's Leslie Stone, Chief Strategy Officer, and Elliot Bastian, Head of Strategy from Nissan United, TBWA, Shiat Day, New York. Thank you both for being on the show. We really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you, Fergus. Thank you for having us. Oh, it's been it's been great fun. I'm so glad we got to do Nissan. Thank you, and we'll see everybody on the next episode.